Hello and welcome to NCBI Labs. So you're very welcome to the show today. And uh, this is Jude Marr here along with JP Corcoran and Daniel Dunn back with you again for another NCBI Labs live event. Now you might have noticed that we haven't got uh, Sean Dorn with us this week and we didn't have him last week. If you're really missing the, the voice of Sean Dorn, don't worry, we hope to have him back very soon with us with uh, maybe maybe next week, maybe the, the following week, he should be back with us. He's uh, He's working hard on a few different projects, one of which we're hoping that we're going to be able to share with you in the coming weeks as well. So we'll look forward to that. Some great show, shows lined up for you, in fact, in the next few weeks, which we're quite excited about. And today's is one of them, actually, because on today's show, we're going to hear from the founder of the hugely popular Seeing AI app from Microsoft, Saqib Sheikh. Uh, Saqib will be talking to us about the development of the Seeing AI app as well as what's new in the latest update as well. So if you have any questions for Saqib, please do send them in to us and we'll be talking to him in, in, in just a little while. Before that, we'll be talking to another of our NCBI Labs team. This week, it's the turn of Derek Carolan to face the Meet the Team treatment. So we'll be talking to Derek in just a few moments as well. And of course, later on, we're gonna have our regular tech help, our quick tips sections as well. Just a reminder before we go any further that if you want to catch up with any of our previous live events or any of the individual segments of our live events, well, then you can do that on YouTube or on any of the major podcast platforms as well. And if you'd like to ask any questions throughout the show, well, you can do that by emailing labs at ncbi.ie or by using the question panel on the right hand side of the screen if you're connecting through Microsoft Teams. So please do get in touch if you want to ask uh, any questions of our guests today. First up, we have our Meet the Team section and the time has finally come for Derek Carolan to face the music. You knew it had to happen sometime, Derek. That's right, Stu. Thanks for having us. Let's <laughs> be here. <laughs> time to meet your maker. <laughs> Not quite that. <laughs> so Derek, Tell us a little bit about your background, where, where, um, what sort of roles you were involved in before NCBI. Were you in a training role, a support role? Yeah, mainly, I, I suppose my involvement in, in technology kind of started way, way off when I was back in secondary school. Uh, I suppose in my, my fourth year and leaving search years, I was involved with a local development company at home in Mayo, where I'm from originally, and uh, mm. they had just set up a, a computer room and uh, they're just looking for somebody to go in and kind of just keep the the, the computers tipping over and also just provide some very very basic training so i was kind of doing that on a part-time basis and then after that i went to college and when i was in college i got a part-time job with a training company in in castle bar doing ecdl training and uh, microsoft office training so i was with them for about five years so uh, yeah. that was mainly training and uh, after about five years i, I felt i needed to, to to move on a bit and kind of uh, spread my wings and kind of Sample Dublin, so I, I moved to Dublin. I got a job up there with the Price Waterhouse Cooper, and I was up there on a, on a contract, and I was part of their training team. So they're very much a financial company. So we, we did a lot of training on Microsoft Excel, and part of that role was also providing support uh, support to all the staff members uh, around the uh, the organisation. So setting up printers, uh, just setting up new PCs, all that kind of stuff, you know. So. Uh, so I was up there and when that contract came to an end, I said that was enough of Dublin for me and I decided I'd hightail it back west again. So I moved to Galway and I joined another training company there. And once again, it was pretty much going out to companies doing training on their products, be it their, their bespoke systems or Excel, Word, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of did a lot of training with, the, with the goals, those guys and setting up training courses and, and yeah. manuals and that kind of stuff. So I think back in 2007, I kind of had uh, things were starting to change a bit. So I kind of felt it was time to time to move on from there. So I um, an opportunity to come up to, to join or link in with NCBI here in Athlone. So I joined initially on a three month contract in 2007. That turned into a nine month contract and I'm still here. So that that's more or less. Yeah. So so you've quite a lot of experience in the uh, training, particularly in your background, but it sounds fairly varied as well. It sounds like you've had kind of a bit across the board of kind of um, maintaining IT systems and providing support and providing all sorts of uh, training as well. 
Well, well, that's it. That's kind of part of training, I suppose. When you're when you're linking in and training with with people, a lot of the times uh, you're training them how to do a certain thing on on their device, be it a laptop, be it a mobile phone, and uh, and with that naturally comes a bit of support. So like there might be issues, oh, the internet's not connecting, or the uh, this file won't open up, or, or things like that. So there's always yeah. has been a bit of a support as well. They kind of come hand in hand, really, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And is that kind of basically what your role in NCBI started out as or the, the main part of your role in NCBI? Yeah, when, when I joined, I joined as an IT trainer and I covered the Midlands. So I was looking after Longford, Westmead, Leash and Offaly. OK, so a lot of that involves supporting the, the, the service users in that region in relation to their 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 computers, uh, providing some training. So we're lucky here in that loan and, and that we have a training room or access to a training room. So we used to have kind of classes and bring people in once a week and yeah. uh, run kind of classes and the classes were very much driven on uh, on what the service users wanted so some would be interested in email some would be interested in online shopping some interested in listening to music audiobooks and that kind of stuff so we just kind of used to create and kind of run a couple of week sessions on the different topics that the guys wanted to to, uh, to do and then i always used to travel over to port leash and we had a similar setup in port leash we had uh, access to a computer room there again and uh, we did something similar there and I did the same in Mullingar and I suppose over in Longford we mm. we had a centre at the start but we didn't really have access to um, to any kind of um, computer area as such so I kind of linked in with the local library and one or two other local organisations over there and got access so that I could bring in a few people at a time and then carry out some training you know so, yeah very good yeah and how, how has your role changed kind of over the last year or so we've been talking to a lot of the uh, the team obviously over the last few months, and it seems like everybody's role has been impacted quite a bit by uh, by the pandemic and just the change of approach, I suppose, to to how we deliver the service. What what sort of things have you been focusing on, or how has your role changed over the last year? Yeah, I suppose I'd be no different to the rest of the guys that get on. Like you know, everything is a lot of stuff has gone virtual, okay, and it's it's proven successful in many respects. That uh, a lot of the training we provide, so we can link in with Microsoft Teams and provide training to to to, to the service users. Uh, well, obviously we're not doing any face-to-face -face or we haven't been doing any face-to-face -face during level five that, that may be starting to open up again uh, as time goes by so we might get to get some of the guys back into the center here but a lot of it yeah has been done virtually okay so you're kind of linking in assessing people kind of virtually over the pc as well and then i suppose there's been a few other little projects that kind of came along in the meantime as well in the last year i suppose in the last year i kind of linked in more with the help desk so yeah. I'm kind of answer, answering the phones now uh, when people ring and, and solving issues over the phone or uh, if people email into that, the lab's email, uh, kind of replying to those and providing technical support over that. Also, and I think Brian might have been with you last week and it probably was discussed to a certain degree, is I'm also linked in with the our, our part of the Braille support group. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, so obviously when, when COVID came along last year, we were all looking just just different projects to try and kick off. So one of the ones that I was involved in setting up was the Braille one. So yeah. we have a Braille group that meets once a month. OK, and they're uh, they're a wonderful bunch of people uh, with great knowledge in relation to, to Braille. So it's something we'd probably like to, to grow the group, because I think when when you start talking about Braille or mentioning Braille, people kind of get just kind of a bit, bit afraid of it because it can be unknown. And uh, if you pick up a Braille device, there's no keyboard per se with letters on it that's, that, that a lot of people will be used to. So we're kind of looking at trying to break down some of the barriers around that. And, and the Braille devices themselves have developed so much in the last few years that it's amazing what they can do nowadays. You know, so they're not just uh, an essential school of piece of equipment that the kids use in school. You know, there's a whole range of, of tasks they can do. So, so that's what we're looking at. So that's another project I'm involved in. And if anybody's interested in joining the Braille group, please drop an email to labs at uh, ncbi.ie and we're more than happy to, to sign you up and you can link in with us. Uh, the thing about the Braille is we try and keep us, or I kind of chair a lot of the meetings, so we try and keep us as, as a very a uh, simple level because my knowledge of Braille wouldn't be as good as some of the rest of the guys in the team so we don't kind of go into the advanced or well we do talk about the advanced side of things but we try and keep it at a level that we all can follow and move along yeah. with you know because uh, like to listen to some of the guys we have on the team their knowledge is absolutely wonderful you know and they're they're very good at sharing and, and providing support to others as well so that, that's yeah. one of the positive yeah. things about the Braille group 
Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's been great to catch up with you and it's been great to hear a lot about a lot of those initiatives actually over the last few months, the different things that the people are involved in. Of course, if anybody is getting in touch with um, us at Labs, now you'll know that Derek is one of the ones on the, the end of the line. You, you've uh, been able to put a, a voice to the name as well if you're uh, if you've been contacting us through the Labs email address. Thanks very much for joining us today, Derek. Appreciate Thanks, that. Dude. Take it easy. And all the best for the different elements of your work as well. Yeah. Very good. So, uh, so great to to catch up with Derek there, and uh, we're we're swiftly uh, coming towards the end of the uh, meet the team segments. Just a, another few, just another few weeks, and you'll have met all of the NCBI Labs team. So uh, we'll uh, we'll be moving on to a, a little bit of a different segment, which we'll tell you about more in the the coming weeks as well. But now. Next up on the show, we're talking about the Seeing AI app. Now you might remember that we've discussed the app to some extent in one of our live events last year, but this week we're delighted to be able to talk to Saqib Sheikh, founder of Seeing AI. You're very welcome, Saqib. Hi, thank you for having me. Ah, uh, very good. <laughs> Little heart in the moment, heart in the mouth moment there. Uh, Saqib, I wasn't sure if you were with us. That's great. <laughs> yeah, a famous find the unmute button moment. Yeah, yeah, that's it. it's happening all the time, isn't it? <laughs> Very good. So great to have you with us this week, Saqib. Really appreciate you being able to join us. I know that it's uh, again, we, we've got into the habit of, of um, catching people at unearthly hours, but hopefully it's it's not quite so bad at the, at the moment. What time is it there? Um, it's half six, but I'm an early riser, so it's okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for being an early riser and being available for the for the show. Before we talk directly about seeing AI, Saqib, can you tell us maybe just a little bit about yourself and a, a little bit about your own background? Yeah, so I spent most of my life in the UK, in sort of within a, the southeast, maybe a bit of the Midlands of England, moving around and. That was until last year I moved out here to America, um, but still considered myself British. And I lost my sight when I was seven. And then at 10, I went off to a boarding school for the blind in Worcester. And one of the great things that happened there is, I think so many of those independent skills for life, but in particular, being introduced to computers and typing and much later on the internet. But that's kind of where I learned to program. And to me, this was just another hobby in the beginning. I liked making things, whether that was wood or pottery or in this case, code. But I kind of, I took to it. And yeah, that's kind of where I started off. And that took me on a exciting adventure through university and studying artificial intelligence and then joining Microsoft about 15 years ago, if you can believe it. Yeah, okay, wow. so you've been with Microsoft for, for the last 15 years. Very good. And I'd say you've been yeah. involved in quite a, quite a few different developments then with, with Microsoft over that time. Yes, um, a wide variety. And in the beginning, I was you know recently out of university and I wanted to make my own mark. I didn't, I didn't want it to be accessibility or blindness related at that moment. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, it was yeah. something I wanted to show that I could be a mainstream engineer. And so the first 10 years, I did a lot of accessibility work on the side, helping Windows, Office, and all those products. But my core work was I worked on the search engines and enterprise systems and Cortana and a whole bunch of things for 10 yeah. years yeah. and before starting down the seeing AI journey. Yeah, very good. So, so just talking about that kind of, that transition over to the seeing AI, um, part of your work. Where did the inspiration for seeing AI actually come from? In many ways, it's something I'd always been interested in since I started studying machine learning, which is a type of artificial intelligence back at university. And in those conversations, you always dream up new ideas. What if this? What if that? And even back then, there was always this idea that what if you could have maybe like a pair of glasses or something that would let you know what's going on around you all the time. It'd be like a sighted guide or a friend when yeah. you happen to be alone. So, you know, I often think of this as a, a little 
friend sitting on my shoulder whispering in my ear. And so that was kind of the genesis of the idea was way back then. And then, yeah, it wasn't much later till I realized that, you know, possibly a thin slice of this, the first step could be possible. Mm. And and what was the, the first step, if you like? What was the thing that came to you as being, here is how we go about achieving this. This is where this is where we go to first. It's about 2014, so going back quite a few years, there was a comp the first company-wide hackathon, and they've happened every year since. But a hackathon is an event where, in this case, everyone in the company with every skill set was just encouraged to spend time away from your regular job for a few days and to think how to make things better or to make something new. Mm. And they thought, wow, there's such an opportunity. I'm not going to waste this. I want to do the biggest thing I can. And like I mentioned, till that point, all my work had been mainstream engineering. But I kind of thought, you know, the things I know the most about, the things I care most deeply about are also accessibility related because three you know, for obvious reasons. And so yeah. I thought, okay, let's bring these two parts of my life together now. And maybe it wasn't quite that conscious. And I sort of remembered some of those early ideas and I thought, okay, let's see where AI is at today. What can mm. I pull on from around the company? A bit like a kid in a candy store. I went around to see what different departments were working on. What could we pull together to help people who are blind? And that was a very rudimentary version, but it was another hackathon the next year and it got even better and more and more people, it kind of became a bit of a, it's kind of a snowball effect, like more and more people got excited and helped out from across the company. And eventually we're in this situation where my manager said, if you're really serious about this, I'm going to give you six weeks off your regular work to take this as far as you can. Yeah. And that never ended. I, there was never an explicit <laughs> agreement, but after six weeks, it's like, you know, yeah. just keep going. And then a bit more, yeah. keep going. And, you know, there's a lot of good luck and good, more than that, good people around me. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Just tell us a bit more before we continue on with the idea of um, just the development of seeing AI. Can you tell us a bit more just about the, you talked about the hackathon there. I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about the Microsoft Garage as well. Just for for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of some of some of those things before, can you tell us a bit about those? Yeah, the Garage is an organization which sort of encourages uh, grassroots innovation. And it's something, you know, back to my early days at Microsoft, it's something I'd be a big fan of because they make the space, both physical and sort of metaphorical, virtual, for anyone, any of the engineers in the company to go further with their ideas, with the things they want to make. And so these hackathons are arranged by the garage and they also organize classes, workshops, introducing people to each other so you can form those important teams. And so it's just really great to have that, especially yeah. the end days, to have that organization which lets you know that it's possible to make yeah. something from nothing. It sounds very much like the sort of thing where where it really does encourage innovation and ideas because it just gives you the freedom to to not necessarily have all quite the same structures and, and um, things that would be involved in in maybe the rest of the company that's continuing with the current products or or things that are already in in uh, in the manufacturing line, if you like, at, at that point. It, it seems to be something that gives you the freedom to explore a lot more. Is that right? Exactly, yes, in terms of the resources or the help or the disconnection. Yeah. And a funny side story while we're talking about the garage or garage, as some might call it. And yeah. that sort of comes from this Silicon Valley idea of inventing in the garage, where it's, California is nice and warm. So um, the UK chapter was called The Shed, which I really right. made me laugh. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I'd be I'd be more comfortable calling it The Shed. I, I can never bring myself to say garage. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't sound right with my my uh, my voice, my accent. I have to just say garage or shed, but it's uh, same thing we're talking <laughs> no, about. Garage is good. 
<laughs> Very good. So let's get back to just with this uh, kind of development of seeing AI then. You mentioned about the hackathon and just the origins of it, how the development started. What year was that again? Did, did you say that that whole thing kind of kicked off and started taking a bit of momentum? I think like uh, the beginning of the idea, I think, was 2014, if I remember right. And then really things kicked into a new gear. When in 2016, we were on stage with the CEO of Satya Nadella at the Build conference. And that was just such a huge moment and the true turning point for the project. Yeah, brilliant. Um, up until that point, was was that the point where you kind of basically had had something to show the whole thing was functional to a degree at, at that point? Yes, I think we had sort of, you know, brought enough of the pieces together. We had the vision, we had um, something working, and it was a few more months before, you know, it's something we were ready to show the world for real. But but yeah, yeah that was that was a real turning point. So maybe just could you talk us through a little bit? Um, and obviously we kind of won't go into great depth here, but just between those two points, between 2014 and 2016, there, there obviously must have been quite a few kind of individual obstacles that you would have faced along along the way. At the moment, like if, if we get seeing AI into our hands at the moment and we um, just start using the functions on it, it's a very smooth end result. But what sort of obstacles were there that that might have been a little bit of a, a challenge to get over, particularly for such an ambitious project? In those early days, the challenges are, there are a lot of technical challenges, but beyond that, I think any project of any sort has those, what you might call bootstrapping challenges of finding the right people, connecting to the right people. Um, in the beginning, it was me just tinkering alone, People were like, this is, you know, this is not going to work. It's not going to be possible. I tried to get some more people involved. And like, oh, I got other projects which are just as interesting. Thank you. Or trying to get senior people to believe in it. There's a lot of that at the beginning. Yeah. And then I was really fortunate to meet my friend Anirudh and a whole bunch of others in Silicon Valley office who were interested in doing something similar the following summer. And it really having those more people involved with a broader skill set and more energy and excitement to spread the word just really helped as well. But then even beyond that, it's sort of, it's this gradual thing of pulling all the people you need, showing that your idea is not just a crazy idea, but something that's possible. And as that comes together, the more you have to show, the more people believe and, you know, it's that virtuous cycle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and technically, I guess there must have been some challenges. And again, we won't get kind of bogged down in, in too many of these th sort of things. But was it, was it a good time, for example, for um, just even the development overall around AI and its use and its implementation? Was that a good time to be doing um, a lot of the development on seeing AI? Or did you end up having to do an awful lot of that work yourself because maybe there wasn't the right foundations to it? A bit of both. We were very fortunate. And again, I often think like, were we fortunate or is it just looking back? Um, mm. Often you don't remember the steps you took, but you just realized that that was the moment when AI was really taking off this new concept of deep learning in 2015, 2016 was really taking off. I remember in 2014 when I was looking at it, it was just something I'd heard of and it was a sentence that I mentioned in my presentation. Um, yeah. But then in 2015, you saw the first um, systems really able to describe an image. And in 16, that got even better. And face recognition was just coming online in those years too. So it was just kind of partly I was inspired by the progress in AI. And then partly, you could also say the fact that we launched then meant that a lot of those building blocks that we built upon were also ready. So that's yeah. one of the amazing things is in a company like Microsoft, we can leverage the work of the scientists and engineers around the company. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's exactly the right kind of environment to be able to develop something like that. It's re really good. So maybe we could actually just kind of move on then to the point of being able to 
um, bring out seeing AI and, and have people actually being able to use it in their ev everyday lives. Can you talk to us about some of the kind of main um, functions of seeing AI, the most commonly used functions, if you like? Yeah, so you can think of seeing AI as a talking camera. I mentioned at the beginning that vision of someone looking around and telling you what's around you. And so we say that it can recognize text, people and things in your environment. And maybe one of the most popular things is reading text. You, we have these different channels for different purposes and you switch between channels depending on what you want to know about. Yeah. With short text channel, you just point the camera at something and it will start reading straight away. Mm. And then some people will sometimes want to read something in more detail. So like the document channel will let you, it'll guide you to line up a piece of paper and take a higher quality picture and give you even more detailed results with better text recognition and formatting information, etc. And there's a bunch of more challenges that I could talk about, but yeah. um, reading well, is definitely a quick, key one. Give us a quick overview of the of the other channels as well, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So um, the theme channel lets you recognize the general theme, and this can be photos that you took or photos you shared from another app like Twitter or photos that you're browsing on your phone. So in each case, it'll tell you that you know this might be a picture of a person sitting at a table with a computer or something like that. They're fairly generic mm. descriptions, but they've come a long way and the scientists are working to make them even better. Yeah. And related to that, the person trying to let you do face recognition. So we've heard from a teacher who was who trained it to recognize the kids in his class. And as they walked in, he was able to read that on a braille display and um, and greet everyone by name. And we also have uh, the ability to recognize currencies, um, including euros. So even if you can't identify the notes by touch, then you will be able to um, hear what they are by just holding the phone above them. And to round off, we have a product recognizer, which will recognize barcodes, but on top of that, it will help you find the barcode because on a big box, like a cereal box, um, maybe you've you know, bought two boxes, you get home from the grocery store, and then you want to know which is which before you put them away. And so it will be faster the closer you are to the barcode and then read you the description. And sometimes it can even tell you information like uh, the nutritional facts. And then finally, we also have the ability to recognize currencies and to tell you how much light there is in the environment. And there is one more, which we'll go into maybe in just a moment, which is the World Channel. But uh, yeah, as you can hear, there's a whole variety of these channels, which have come together over time as we hear from customers the kind of things they wish they could do. And then we sort of get our team together and think, how can we solve that kind of problem? Very good. My apologies there. I've uh, my my connection just went a little bit, so apologies if I if I cover some of the things that you've just mentioned already. But we we do have just some um, questions that have come in, Saqib, and uh, it might kind of get into some of the um, elements that that we we're talking about with the different the different functions of uh, seeing AI, and maybe just the the first one. We might bring um, Daniel in, in a second, but just in relation to the layout of text. How how well in general can seeing AI manage with the layout of text? I think, I think it does pretty well. It does not necessarily do columns right now, for example, uh, because sometimes you want a table and sometimes you want a column, things like that. You might uh, use a full-fledged OCR package for, but it, it, when you're in the document channel, for example, it will really recognize lists and tables and headings. And so you get this rich HTML document um, to represent that piece of paper. Yeah, okay, very good. And maybe Daniel, if we could bring Daniel in at the moment, I think one of the, the questions that we had in was in, in relation to layout a little bit. Yeah, it was indeed. Um, so first of all, um, we, we had a question um, coming in there and they're wondering is there 
a way to line up the preview when you're doing the handwriting channel. Um, so, so it'll be in full view because when they try to use in the handwriting feature, sometimes they're missing it and they're getting half a sentence um, in, in return. So is that something? There isn't at the moment. Yeah, there, is, there isn't at the moment, but that's really good feedback and we'll give that some thought. Um, the handwriting channel is really useful in those situations like a greeting card. We've got a handwritten note. So yeah, um, right now you have to just take the photo yourself. But yes. when many of the channels, we provide that live guidance on how to hold the phone and we can think how to best do that for handwriting as well. Yeah, it is in the document channel at the moment. So um, yeah, there would be some would be some um, appreciation if that could, could have been added into it. Um, there's also now I think you kind of touched on it there about the columns. Um, but um, Martin also adds his question, um, you know, doing PDFs and and being able to open more documents for read back, would it be possible? And um, yeah, right now we're focused on recognizing images and using the camera, but I, yeah. I can also see that sometimes those PDFs are also image based. Yeah. So th that's also a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so I suppose um, rather than questions, I think they're turned into kind of fe feature um, feature requests, but um, I, I think they're all quite good as well. And mm. maybe maybe um, it, it can be taken as a bit of constructive uh, feedback. Absolutely, we have this big long list of of customer requests, and these may be on there already. But w what we do is we make sure all of these things are added to the list, and then whenever we have um, we're looking at the next release, we'll go through that list and see, you know, what is the one that's been requested the most or that yeah. is the biggest opportunity. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Is that something that people can feed back to quite easily, Sakeep? Is there a way of kind of uh, sending suggestions on if people have any feedback? Yes, you can email seeingai at microsoft.com. That's the easiest way. Um, you could also call the Microsoft Disability Answer Desk. Yeah. And yeah. I do not have the island phone number right now, but perhaps you can put that in the show notes or something. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, very good. We'll we'll do that. Absolutely. Thank you. And um it just it's kind of interesting just hearing some of those suggestions as well, or some of the little things that that maybe have um proved to be a little bit of a challenge. Because sometimes there's there's other factors that are involved. I know one of the one of the problems that's come up at times was maybe with identifying color accurately, for example, but that can be that can be actually a number of different factors, can't it? So it can. That's something yeah. we really, uh, you know, on a personal level, I really want to crack that nut. Um, the challenge is the way cameras see color is quite different to the way the human eye sees color. Yeah. And if you point your, you know, even a sighted person points the camera at something, it can look white and you turn the lights on and it suddenly looks yellowy. Or you could point at something pink and a shadow comes over it and it'll look gray. And that's just to the human eye. So yeah. I think part of these challenges is how do you get the correct color regardless of how much lighting and shadow there is? So I'd recommend if you want to um, find out what color something is, make sure it's a well-lit environment. Um, don't sort of uh, bend over the object, etc., because that will cause there to be a shadow, which will make everything look a bit darker or grayer. Yeah. Um, so there are yeah. some tips you can have, and there are definitely technical challenges we'd love to solve in the future too. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's interesting anyway, because if you if you were to just do a very quick search on on the internet of sort of optical illusions to do with color. There's an awful lot of um, optical illusions which will actually show you this, the exact same color that look entirely different based on whether there's shade or light falling on it or what the surrounding colors are. So if our eyes can be fooled that easily, it kind of goes to show as well that that actually the the um, the camera and the, the AI can can also have a little bit of an issue with it if the if the lighting isn't good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that, that's what makes this exciting is that there's always things we can do to make things better. So yeah, um, 
again, it's it's on the list and love love yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit just about um, the the most recent um, release or any kind of other developments that have, have moved on maybe beyond the the initial um, main features of seeing AI. What what have been some of your recent additions or things that are in the pipeline? Yeah, one that's not that recent, but maybe less people have tried is this explore by touch feature. So mm. once you've taken a photo that's either from the scene channel or browse photos, where uh, that's the feature in the menu where you can go to all the photos on your phone or even shared from another app. But yeah, once you have a description of a photo, you can also tap explore. And that lets you run your finger over the screen to hear all the elements of the object. So mm. I, one of my favorite photos I had was I was standing next to a car and it sort of told me how person, car, wheels, number plate, and I could feel the spatial um, uh, layout of the elements in the photo. It even picked up a tree in the background and a sign on a hotel that was in the background. And it kind of is a different way to explore a photo. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So that's then, that's um, the explore feature, did you say? So that's if you've if you've got exactly, a photograph. Yes. OK, excellent. And then the most recent thing is what we call the world channel. So this is um, just a few weeks old, uh, late December. Yeah. So I was hoping you'd mentioned this one. Yes, this is right now really exciting to me. It's our first step from 2D into 3D, because right now it's all been about photos and understanding what's in an image. We're now looking at, okay, what if we were to try and recognize things in the 3D world? Again, going back to that big vision of something that can understand the world around me and explain it to me. And again, these are all baby steps to get there. And so if you have an iPhone 12, um, and we need that because of the LiDAR, you can also run it on an iPad 2020. So if you have a LiDAR device, then we can actually measure how far away the things around you are. And we can recognize objects like chairs and tables and doors and windows and many others. And so as you point your phone, not only will it tell you what's around you, but if you're wearing headphones, you'll hear it in 3D space. So yeah. it's going to sound like the word door came from the door, which is really cool. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And yeah. then you can actually, yeah, and then you can actually place what we call a, a beacon which is basically a sound, but the sound emanates from that object. So if you were to place the beacon on a chair, then you're going to hear that noise in 3D space again. So you can move your camera left and right, and you should be looking the same way as the camera. But so if you move your camera and head left, you might hear the noise shift to your right ear, etc. Yeah. And you can use that to walk right up to that chair and sit in it, Brilliant. which is really cool. And yeah. again, we're mostly at home right now, but as we go to new unfamiliar environments again, that's going to be really, really helpful in exploring a brand new environment. That, that's really interesting. One question that just comes to my mind about how that works. Um, so, for example, the, the um, idea of putting a beacon on a chair or a movable object such as a chair. Um, how is it reading the location of that chair? So is it recognizing it through the camera again? You're kind of recognizing the chair. So even if it moves, it will bring you to there. Or does it pinpoint the location so that it would bring you to the exact location where the chair originally was? So if the chair moved, then the camera needs to have seen it. But assuming the chair is still where the camera saw it to be, we're using a combination of the camera and mm the LiDAR. So the LiDAR detects, it sends out a beam of light, which you can't see, and then you can measure how long it took to bounce off an object. And so that tells us how far away it is. And the normal camera tells us that it's a chair. So now we can have this idea that, huh, that there's a chair in that direction at this distance. Yeah. And as you sort of walk up to it, it, it still keeps tracking that as the distance gets less and less. Yeah. Yeah, really useful feature. I can imagine that being very w widely used. Actually, it's a really good one to to let people know about as well. Question that I I really I won't get away without asking this question, but just for for any of our um, Apple iPhone users, obviously they're kind of delighted with the seeing AI. A any plans in relation to um, Android? Yeah, so 
no plans are present, but we hear that feedback really loud and clear. With a small team, it's always this case of, you know, do you spend your time doing more on one platform or go to two? And, you know, increasingly we are hearing from our Android friends that, you know, we wish we had a tool like this too. So definitely yeah. hear that, but nothing planned right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, it's good to know uh, as well. To be honest, it's a it's a good uh, good bit of information to have at least. Um, we we did get another couple of questions through. I wonder maybe JP, do you have the the questions that came in through the week? I do, Judy. Yes. So we, we received a few questions over the over the week from some senior AI users, which might be able to help us with Sakiba. Um, first question that came in, one person has asked, in relation to the product channel in Sing AI, is there an, anything is there anything I can do to help locate where the barcode is on the product I'm looking to identify? As it can sometimes be a bit of a challenge for me to try and find it. I think it's something you kind of touched on earlier, actually. Yeah, so the different strategies, but remember that the camera is in the top right of the phone. It's not in the center of the phone. So you want to keep your camera aligned with the object, especially if it's smaller, that matters. And maybe you start further away because then the further you are, so not too far away, I should say, but you know, like maybe two, three feet away. And as you rotate that item so that it sees each of the six edges of a box or rotate a can, then you might hear the beginnings of a beep and use that to guide you to maybe come closer or to adjust okay. either the object or the camera so that the beeps will get faster and faster. And then you, once it's perfectly aligned, it will tell you what it is. Great. So I hope that tip helps. And if that's, not, you can great. email Seeing AI at Microsoft and we'll be great. happy to help more. Thanks, that's great advice. Another question, if the app works by uploading images to the cloud, can I, can I be confident that any image containing personal or sensitive information that I take with the Seeing AI app is kept secure? Yes, we use all the secure channels like HTTPS when we're transferring the image and we don't store that image. So yeah. we are aware that the photo could contain personal information. So we process it to get the description and then it is not kept. Great, okay. Um, so Sakib, we also received a couple of comments from CAI users over the, over the last few days, which I'd like to relate to. And one comment is, I find the currency channel extremely beneficial for recognizing my Euro notes and it announces them perfectly for me. Another comment that came in um, from someone else, this is a brilliant app and I'm so glad that I downloaded it as it empowers my life more in daily tasks. Before I knew about this app, I wasn't as independent as I am now. And it's all thanks to Microsoft Seeing AI. So, couple of really positive comments that we received over the last few days from some um, Seeing AI app users. Thank you so much. It's so gratifying to hear that. And hearing that direct from users around the world means so much. It's like, it's why we do what we do. So thank you so much for taking the time to, Great. Uh, to everyone who wrote in. Great, thanks again. Very good. Well, it's certainly been um, really informative to talk to you, Saqib. Um, we really appreciate you making the time to come onto the show today because it's uh, it's it is such a game changing app as well. It's one that is um, so exciting for for people to be able to have something like this. Obviously, it's it's not a new one anymore, but the development that continues um, with the features that are involved in seeing AI, it, it's still quite exciting to be able to to see where that goes next as well. So really appreciate you being on the on the show, Saqib. Thanks for talking us through the development of seeing AI, and I'm sure it'll keep on going from strength to strength as well. Thank you so much. And one last time, if anyone has comments, please do reach out seeingai at microsoft.com or me personally, you can contact me on Twitter. I'm Sakibes, S-A-Q-I-B-S. And thank you again. Thank you very much, Saqib. So remember, um, for all of our listeners, if you want to listen back to that interview, you can do that on YouTube or you can do that on any of the major podcast platforms as well after the show. That was uh, Saqib Sheikh uh, talking us through the development of Seeing AI. Very good. Now, moving on with the show, let's uh, go to our tech help section this week. Daniel is here to help us with that this week. And Daniel, the question is actually a, a bit of a combination of questions for this week. H how do you switch between apps 
using the keyboard? And also, is there a way that you can switch between different tabs on a browser, for example? Uh, very good question, uh, Jude. Yeah, um, the way of switching between apps, um, traditionally, as it was in the older Windows systems, you had your hold down your alt key and um, be using the tab button to jump between the open programs and release the alt key when you landed on it. But um, in Windows 10 now, we see that there is uh, the Windows Windows key held down and press the T and then use your arrow keys T for taskbar, sorry, and then use your arrow keys to go left and right will uh, bring you through all the open apps that are there. Alternatively, you can, um, if you kind of know what order you've opened them up in, you can use your Windows key in one, Windows key in two, Windows key in three to open, um, you know, depending on one, two, three, the, the, the apps that you've opened in that sequence. So that's a handy way of, um, you know, switching between programs. But now that the the browsers, um, the web browsers, when you're on, on web pages, um, more and more we're opening multiple tabs. Um, some of us forget to close them, which can slow down our devices if we if we don't close them off. Um, but when you're in a browser and you want to switch between the tabs, um, it's uh, Control Shift and Tab um, will will go between will go between the tabs that are open on your browser. So that's a another handy one to to. To know there that you can switch between the various open tabs and that'll work within uh, chrome and edge browsers as well ah, brilliant very good very um handy tip to keep in mind and actually talking of a handy tip let's uh, move on to our quick tips for the week appreciate that daniel thank you very much and uh, jp is with us for some quick tips in relation to voiceover and talkback so you've probably got a a bit of a repertoire already of different uh, tips that we've covered over the last few weeks of how to use voiceover and talkback. But uh, let's see what we've got this week, JP. Sure. So this week I thought we'd go through how so some of the gestures that we can use uh, using voiceover on an iPhone or iPad or talkback on an Android device to go back to a previous screen or dismiss an alert. So we might want to, for example, use these gestures if you need to go back a level in an app like settings app or if you need to close a pop-up that's just appeared on the screen and you want to get rid of it. So if you're a voiceover user, uh, what you can do is you can use what's known as the two-finger scrub uh, to do this. So it involves placing two fingers on the screen about an inch apart and then we move them from side to side. It's almost as if you're trying to scrub the glass. Um, mm -hmm. So if you do it right, it should bring you back one screen in an app or it should close a pop-up that's appeared on the screen. It's a different gesture required for talkback users uh, and it actually involves swiping uh, one finger down the screen and then to the left. So it's almost like you're drawing like an inverted L on the screen. Mm. And just to point out that it does need to be a very kind of smooth motion. I've tried it on my own phone a few times. It won't work if it's if, it, if it's not a smooth motion. But once it's done right, it should bring you back one level, just like the two finger scrub gesture with, with voiceover. That's a quick quick uh, run through some of the gestures that we can use with voiceover or talkback to go back a previous screen or to dismiss an alert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, now, there's another tip I can, if we have time, I cover, yeah. cover this week. Um, it's just to do with turning voiceover on and off and talking, turning talkback on and off. So it's another quick tip that we thought we'd cover uh, for both the uh, uh, voiceover and talkback users. So on an iPhone, there's several ways we can do this. Um, firstly, we can, well, first of all, we can summon Siri as a simple way to say, hey Siri, turn on voiceover, or hey Siri, turn off voiceover. Um, another option is to triple press the side button if you're using an iPhone uh, which has the face ID, or to triple press the home button if you're using an iPhone uh, with a home button. Um, and just note that we would first need to choose voiceover in the accessibility a shortcut section of the settings app for this to work. Mm -hmm. It's different on an Android phone uh, with talkback. We can simply press and hold both volume keys at the same time to turn on and off the screen reader. So there's a couple of ways we can quickly turn on and off voiceover and on and off talkback on an iPhone or Android device. Very good. Yeah. Well, that, there's some great um, extra tips again, and uh, like we say, there's a, a great kind of web repertoire building up of these uh, different gestures that you can use on your voiceover or your talkback devices, and uh, we'll continue to cover some more in the next few weeks as well. If you want to catch up on the ones previously, of course, you know where to go. We've been saying it through the show. If you want to catch up on any of those, you can uh, go to our 
uh, YouTube channel or and any of the um, various podcast platforms as well to listen back. Just a reminder again, of course, that if you want uh, a bit more of a hand with any of the subjects we spoke about today, you can get support from the labs team from nine to five, Monday to Friday on 1850 92 30 60, or you can email labs at ncbi.ie. That's labs at ncbi.ie. And thanks to Derek earlier, he mentioned uh, who you'll possibly be getting at the end of that email address as well. Or if you want to avail of the, the wider NCBI services, then you can call 1850 4353 or email info at ncbi.ie. If you'd like to make a donation to support our services, you can also visit donate.ncbi.ie. Maybe you'd even like to sponsor one of our live events. Well, again, you can do that by contacting us here at labs, labs at ncbi.ie, and that can just help to keep our, our live events going as well. Now, just before we go, just a, a reminder of what we'll be talking about in some of our future live events. So we, we mentioned before that we're going to talk about Sky. Well, we're going to be talking about some of the Sky accessibility features uh, in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for that. That'll be quite a, an interesting show to, to look forward to there. We're also going to be looking at the new show and tell feature uh, on Alexa. So if you if you uh, have that that uh, Alexa show device or and you want to learn a bit more about that or if you haven't and you're thinking about um, what might sway you in in terms of the uh, in terms of the smart speakers or any of those sort of uh, intelligent home devices, smart home devices, um, then that that'll be an interesting one for you to catch up with as well. And of course, the blind shell mobile phone we've flagged it a few times we'll, we'll get there we're uh, we are going to have that uh, item coming up in the next few weeks as well just a reminder that our our next live event is on march the 2nd so that's next tuesday at 2 30 pm the usual time and if you want to stay up to date with what's happening on our live events as well as plenty more you can subscribe to our newsletter on our website or again you can email us here at labs at ncbi.ie if you'd like to do that. Great resource there if you want to sign up for our NCBI technology newsletter. So all that's left for me to do is to thank our panel today. Really appreciate the uh, the guests we had today, Derek Carlan and Saqib Sheikh, and uh, we, we really appreciate them joining us on the show. And thanks to everyone for listening in as well. And from me, Jude Marr, and from JP Corcoran and Daniel Dunn, goodbye for now. And we look forward to having you all back with us next week for another NCBI Labs live event.